The people have spoken, and Jeff Ross has returned for Roast Battle 2. The Fortnite event features top comedians getting verbally violent until just one is left standing. Featuring a star-studded lineup of judges including Snoop Dogg, Sarah Silverman, and Jason Sudeikis, this is a battle you don't want to miss. The Fortnite event begins January 26th at 10, 9 central on Comedy Central. And don't miss the live finale on Sunday, January 29th at 10, 9 central to see who gets crowned king or queen of cruelty. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, this John is totally out of pocket. It's Andy Greenwald! Hey, sorry, Chris. I know we're good to go. Usually 2 p.m. quick uh, quick start time. I just, just got to check my doomsday clock to make sure that it's in order. <laughs> my, oh, uh, yeah. My, two minutes to midnight. Good. My intro to we're you good. is in reference to a protest sign that was seen outside of Philadelphia City Hall. So shout out oh, to Philly. I, I, <laughs> I, I just assumed that you know. I, I just assumed it was relevant every day. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you could just say it about it. anything. Uh, Andy Greenwald, mm-hmm. this is the Watch Reup. It's our Thursday show. Uh, we're going to be doing a couple things this week. Who won the week? We'll be looking at the Oscar nominees. Uh, we will also do a brief letter from Taboo Island. I promise. <laughs> um, and then this is the mailbag episode. <laughs> so we'll be answering questions from our listeners. Thank you guys so much for responding to us at the Watch Pod on Twitter. Greenwald, you good? How you feeling? Oh, I'm always good. I'm, I feel terrific. Andy has been like in media blackout like two minutes before this started. I was like, hey, man, did you look at the news? <laughs> Whoops. Um, Andy, let's go into who won the week. Yeah, big okay. week this week. Yeah. Um, I, I continue to insist that this segment is... The segment is really like, didn't we all lose this week until until we decide something else? But this week was the Oscar nominations, mm-hmm. Chris. And, you know, I think we, when we talked about the Golden Globes uh, a few weeks ago. We were saying that unlike many years, it seemed like this year was pretty much a foregone conclusion in terms of the favorites. There didn't seem to be that many, um, uh, that much competition in the major categories. I still think that to be true. But you look down the list, I think that the Oscars got it mostly right. And to me, though, the thing that really stood out is not La La Land having more nominations than what? Like Ben-Hur? It tied Titanic, I think. It did tied Titanic. Two of the great films of our time, La La Land and Titanic. Perfect for these times, Chris. But the obviously Damien Chazelle is going to win many weeks going forward. La La Land is going to win Best Picture. I have no question about that. So I kind of wanted to put the spotlight on a different film that, yeah. that actually, it's, it surprised me. Chris, the film Arrival got eight nominations. Yes. And I was very surprised by this. And I realized we had never actually talked about this film, which I know is one of your favorites. And I watched not on an airplane, but on a similar three months later um, schedule. Yeah, Arrival sort of satisfied the smart sci-fi role of the Oscars this year, like Martian and Gravity did in the past. It's become almost an annual event where like a cerebral but very entertaining science fiction movie captures the imagination i didn't think arrival had been doing that well but it it's being re-released in theaters now and it's gonna break 100 million which is uh which is pretty good for a sort of arty um philosophical you know largely yeah. intellectual like intellectually challenging emotional experience i'm i'm, I'm happy about yeah. it I, I think that you would say even before the nominations came out that this was considered a hit or a win. You know, I feel like the studio was pleased with the money it got back on it. I mean, 
in today this this is this is maybe you know it's the jumbo shrimp thing it's the damn with faint praise but this is a non i mean it, it comes from dare i say it pre-existing ip there is a relatively like a, a obscure story? short story yeah. <laughs> yeah but but this is not a franchise uh this is not based on a comic book or a tv show this is not it does not star children it is in fact about the opposite in many ways it stars adult actors um and is beautifully beautifully directed by Denis Villeneuve and it's it worked you know I was very impressed and I and I and I'm trying to parse my own reaction to it we didn't talk about it I really really admired the movie I really loved parts of it but I feel very kind of warm and fuzzy and protective towards it maybe because it it was so big-hearted in its art and its ambition if that makes sense you know yeah, really we do so much a, diagnostic work on all these movies and television shows and stories and we ask for such like things you know we, we want to be taken seriously we want our we don't want to be in, our intelligence to be insulted we want originality and we want people to make brave choices and cast good actors and i think mm-hmm. when a lot of those boxes get checked it's it's easy to become very defensive about it even if it does have some issues i i think i we've talked about may have talked about this before maybe i talked about this was fantasy but I've seen Arrival twice, and the second time actually was a much better experience. Hmm. Uh, because once did, you did, understand did, the sort of mechanics of the plot without giving anything away, right. it takes on an entirely different uh, feeling. You know, when you're if you know what you're watching, there is like yes. elements of tragedy and elements of of hopefulness in places that you didn't quite understand before. I, I just think also it is. It's unquestionably the the most beautiful, uh, beautifully directed yeah, film shout of the out year. To the Bradford most, Young, um, incredible cinematographer, Bradford, who, who who is deservedly nominated. And you just think about um, certain moments. Um, you know, the moment when they fly upwards and sideways. You know, the the the. the it's not a complicated idea. This idea of them going into the ship and their gravity and orientation being flipped around, but. It's it's beautiful. It's very simple and very beautiful and Kubrickian. Almost. What did you, you know, think about the uh, the moment when Jeremy Renner gets up into the spaceship for the first time and he's just like, "I love the open floor plan you guys are working with. I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> I think I just want to go for sort of more of a Taos, New Mexico, opera I, I, I think he's like <laughs> he's like Costello. Am I reading you right? I'm really feeling a mid century modern yeah. aesthetic that you want here. Now I know you want a chair with um, seven legs, and that's a little bit tricky. Um, <laughs> But I think he could. But I think he could work with it. Look, it, it's a, it's an ambitious movie, and it's a movie that succeeds in the difficult climate for ambitious movies. And I think that alone is 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 pretty impressive. I think so. Basically, I think Denis Villeneuve won the week because this was his his movie. Uh, he's nominated. I don't mean to rain on his parade during his week. I don't think Arrival is going to win any awards. No. Um, I wish it, I, w- I wish it did, but it's very nice that it got nominated. And I think it's worth noting. Like I think people hopefully will use this moment to check out his other movies um everyone knows we love sicario but especially in this sort of inflection point in his career where he's got the new blade runner coming next year and then there were were all these reports that he was going to do dune next and i find myself sort of hoping he does not do that but he's he's one of the more i I was very sort of for as much as i love sicario i was glad that he's not making a second the second film that's actually going to be directed i believe by the guy who who directed the uh gamora series and oh yeah yeah um you know he's doing blade runner i think blade runner looks mind-blowing dune is a very attractive you know story it has been to other filmmakers before i mean david lynch famously grappled with it i hope that villeneuve continues to make you know his own kind of movies his own original kind of movies and i think he can make pretty much anything he wants he's a really dazzling filmmaker 
and just uh, any other any other Oscar things, we're gonna uh, we're gonna be talking about the Oscars a lot more as we get to it. I mean, I was really psyched to see the Lobster get a screenplay nomination. Uh, I was surprised Annette Bening was not nominated for 20th Century Women, a movie I did not love but really admired and liked. Yeah, uh, um, I would just say I was very very happy that Michael Shannon got nominated. That's a he gives an awesome performance in Nocturnal Animals. Can I just say that for some reason I remain on some press list and that day I got all these emails that was like official statement Ruth Nega. And it was just like, I'm like, okay. And I, like, I clicked on it and, you know, she was just basically like, boy, this was a great day. I am so honored. And then it was like official statement Michael Shannon. And it was, ba- I opened it up and it's all in bold. And essentially it was just like, fuck yeah, I would <laughs> yeah. follow Tom Ford anywhere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I was into that. So Arrival at Denny Villeneuve win the week. Uh, let's move on to our second segment here. And that is a letter from Taboo Island. Dear Andy, I know you haven't been watching Taboo. <laughs> That's okay. That's what I'm here for. I take quill to parchment to tell Ooh. you some of the highlights from this last episode of Taboo, the third episode. Um, we opened up this week, which was really exciting. I always really appreciate anytime anyone can have surgery performed on them while they are not under anesthetic. I feel like it's a real test of the man. Doug Stamper doing (laughs) waking stitches on Tom Hardy while they have a conversation about the trade of tea from China, which I can't tell if it's a metaphor or not. Uh, Wait, can I? I got to ask you something. I I don't mean to put you on the spot, but can you in any way on this podcast approximate the guttural noises that Tom Hardy made while he was being Hardy does this like um, this shake with his hand when it it, when obviously Doug Stamper is like scraping bone. He does like a to signify that he shakes his arm a lot. It's pretty intense. Uh, Just you know, as far as like what's going on behind the scenes and the palaces uh, and and seats of power, the guy who works for the king—I don't know if I talked about him last week. His name's Coop, and he went and saw Jonathan Mm. Price over in East India, and um, he pulls out like this little like it looks like he's pulling out a tin of dip, but he definitely like just Mm. blows a bag right in front of Jonathan Price. Do you know if that was a (laughs) thing that guys used to do? Did they used to snort tobacco or something? Like anybody who's into nineteenth-century. Whatever, let uh, me know. I I, ass- I assume it was snuff. Snuff was the thing. Okay, and know? they just would take a like, sniff like, of it. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they would they would they would snuff it right up there, and they'd and they'd feel all the feelings, you know, and then they'd really but they'd snuff listen to of Night what? Ranger songs. They'd, they'd want to listen to Night Ranger songs really <laughs> loudly, and they'd never want to leave this uh, sitting room. I think I think it's pretty. It's pretty on the. So wait, you, you want me to explain how snuff works? Are you? Are you what is about what is the, the product? Is it coca leaf? Is it tobacco? <laughs> what is? All right, push a T. What is the product? <laughs> what are the pyrex <laughs> visions of taboo? Do, do you know what we, could, how we how much weight we could move through Newport News if we could just get uh, snuff is tobacco. It is a tobacco product. Okay, great. That, uh, that is that is that is uh, insufl- insufflated. You know, there are some other things going on. Uh, Delaney's dad had a wife. I don't know if I mentioned her. She's acting in a Shakespeare play in London. Turns out she owns half of whatever Delaney owns, or at least according oh, to the, the court. So they, wait, the, wait, wait. Your girl, your girl owns half of Vancouver Island. She does. She's gonna she's gonna Damn. open up a great artisanal hot dog stand. Um, wow. So she's come into play, and because of that, Delaney feels the need to protect her because there are so many shadowy agents after both of them. Um, the big, big, big highlights, though, come in the last 15 minutes, man, because that's when we get to the real taboo of what taboo is tabooing. And, of oh, course, oh. that's Delaney and his sister who um, break conventional norms – 
mm. and are, are very t- close with one another. And mm. you'd think that that would be, um, you know, a taboo. And it is. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Mm. But uh, Zilpha's uh, husband, Una Chaplin, uh, plays character Zilpha, her husband goes and visits Delaney. Um, and he's like, uh, you know, I write insurance claim. I got underwrite insurance. And Delaney's cool. like, cool, cool. And he's like, you want me to insure your cool boat? Story. And Delaney's like, I'm good. And he's like, by the way, it turns me on that my wife slept with you. Huh. Then he goes home and he gets that- mad at her because she's not pregnant. And then someone sets up, uh, tries to set up Lorna and tries to kill her, but Delaney stops them. So letter from Taboo Island. That's a twist. So (laughs) he is the kind of the original cuck. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) I guess so. He also brings up for the first time since uh, I think it was in Game of Thrones, obviously, the subject of moon blood, which I was really excited about that that became... Uh, that became a repeat thing. Look, I, the way I describe it, it makes it sound maybe not, maybe it's not Andy's bag. I do actually think Taboo is an excellent show. It's a rich text, you know. Like, like I, I feel like Moonblood is not something oft discussed <laughs> in prestige television. It's about time. It's about just about time we like, you know, rip off the bandaid and just we're honest about it. Like, Seriously, especially in sort of flowery prose while snorting tobacco. This is this sounds great, man. You know. <laughs> I'm beginning to question, really question my decision making. Really, really question it. Uh, you'll catch up with it one day. You maybe you're just waiting for there to be a lot to watch at once. Probably that's your thing. Yeah. Oh, it's, you, you can't just have one little bit. It's it's like a Pringle. You know, I need all the taboos <laughs> yes. so then I can really, really, really ex- experience it. That's no, right. I appreciate it. you're doing a service. You're doing a service. Okay. Uh, so now we're gonna take a quick break from our sponsor. Come back and we'll answer your questions. I want to tell you guys a little bit about Jack Threads. When was the last time you ordered clothes online and got to try them on before paying for them? Never, right? Well, that's exactly what jackthreads.com does. You can try on anything at home for free, and you only pay for what you keep. Whether it's a big-name brand or the Jack Threads in-house line, you can be sure that you are 100% in love with the items you ordered before spending a cent. Uh, I love Jack Threads. I've you know ordered van sneakers, their own bomber jacket. You try it on. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's their tryout program. You choose anything you want. You try it on at home for free, and you'll have seven days to decide if it's working for you. And if it is, great. If not, Jack Threads gives you everything you need to send things back, packing tape, and a prepaid shipping label. Go to jackthreads.com and enter the code BSPN when you submit your tryout for 20% off anything you keep. That's jackthreads.com code BSPN to save 20% on anything you keep. Never buy before you try again. This episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Curiosity Stream, a subscription streaming service that offers over 1,500 documentaries and nonfiction series from some of the world's best filmmakers. Curiosity Stream is the world's first ad-free nonfiction streaming service with over 1,500 titles and 600 hours of content. It was founded by John Hendricks, founder of Discovery Communications, so you're guaranteed access to factual, educational programs and not reality TV shows currently plaguing cable TV. It's available on many platforms, the web app they have, Roku, Android, iOS, Chromecast, Amazon Fire, Amazon Kindle, and Apple TV. It's available in 196 countries worldwide, and the content spans history, science, nature, technology. You know, a few of their titles include Deep Time History, which is like an exclusive three-part original documentary series that tells you the story of the universe's 14-billion-year history and origin, including surprising twists to stories that you thought you knew. Stephen Hawking's Favorite Places, an original and exclusive documentary in which the renowned physicist Stephen Hawking travels across the universe in a CGI spaceship, making stops at some of his favorite places from Saturn to black holes to the Big Bang to Santa Barbara. 
There's also Prescription Nutrition, an exclusive four-part original series that explores the original health benefits of plant-based diet, backed by science and leading experts in the health and wellness industry. The plans for Curiosity Stream started just $2.99 per month, and that's less than a cup of coffee and the cost of one title on a competing on-demand platform. Check out curiositystream.com slash sign up and use promo code the watch during the sign up to get unlimited access to the world's top documentaries and nonfiction series. Completely free for the first 60 days. How cool is that? That's two entire months free of one of the largest 4K libraries around. Curiosity Stream, documentaries for the incurably curious. You've got mail. Me and Andy are now joined by our producer, Zach Mack, who is going to be the voice of the people. Hello. What's up, man? Uh, Zach is going to read us questions. Now, Zach, uh, I know that there were a couple of, uh, there were some questions that like were repeatedly asked. So we wanted to knock those out first, if we could, right? So these were questions that lots of you guys had for us. So Zach, hit us up. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys got a lot of Philly love, right? There's a lot of people who were asking for food recommendations, bar recommendations, stories about your time in Philly. Uh, Please just talk about Embiid for (laughs) hours on end (laughs) and uh, and review Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So I figure we'll come back and do that as like a bonus episode, like an all Philly bonus episode. So that anybody from, you know, like northern New Jersey and above... (laughs) Or Delaware and below and anywhere can west GTFO? of Harris Bear. It could just not listen. Right. But we could do that. We could do a TripAdvisor can, episode. Could I just could I just say that every episode we've ever done for the last five years is essentially a Philly episode? <laughs> I feel I don't feel like that's overstating it. But no, I know. We should get more specific. But we should do we could do like city specific episodes. I have to say that one of the best things about this podcast, aside from the fact that I get to do it with Andy, is that it does actually make me feel more connected to Philadelphia because we talk about it so much. You know, I haven't lived there in such a long time, but I love I you know, I just went. I, I it's it's the best. Yeah, there was a lot of Philly fan engagement. I'll say that. That's great. Okay, what else? Uh, the other thing, a lot of pleas for you guys to watch uh, Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events on Netflix. So okay. I figure you guys got to watch that and we'll come back to it. Greenwald, you go first. Uh, I'm going I'm to say a hard no on that. Um, a hard no. It, it's interesting. I'm going to say a hard no. Like I, I, I'm, the, the gig I'm currently doing, other than the one that I'm doing with you guys right now, I, I've, I've been working with some, some younger folks, some of these millennials. This is a, a, a totemic and iconic piece of IP for them. They are psyched about this. And that's wonderful for them. But this is, Chris, this isn't us. This isn't our thing. This isn't our bet. We don't know from this. I don't feel qualified to talk about this. This feels like, this feels like your shit if you are between the ages of 15 and 25. And I, I, don't, I don't want to old man it. I don't want to come... I'll tell you what, I'm going to give one a shot, but I'm more or less entirely on Team Greenwald here, just because I'm an old man, and just, I didn't read (laughs) these books, I didn't know that this was a thing, like, people will say these words to me, and I'm just like, who, is there somebody behind me? Like, I don't know what Lemony Snicket even is. And and I'm sure it's real clever, but unless you told me there was a tense scene set at the um, uh, uh, Tijuana-San Diego border crossing that involved dogs (laughs) and dudes with... I'm serious, like with skull tattoos in the back of their necks. Uh, it, look, if there's an if there's a scene in an episode where a dude keeps a handgun like low in his lap in a Toyota Tercel and then like clutches it and unclutches it nervously, I'll watch it. Okay, just tell me if that scene happens and I'll watch. Maybe Otherwise, season two. All right, what's the next question, Zach? Uh, what's up with the book club, guys? This is a good question. Me and Andy actually did settle on a title that we've both just recently read, and we think it would be a cool one because it's actually a series. Um, but I th- Andy, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that uh, 
Zoo Station by David Downing. It's a series about a yeah. journalist living in Berlin right before World War II named John Russell. It has elements of Alan First and John le Carré, some of our favorite espionage and spy writers. It is incredibly evocative. The first book is awesome. It's it's a pretty easy read. It's just um, about life under creeping totalitarianism. Mm. And <laughs> it, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it, Andy it, introduced it, me to it and relevant. it's fantastic. Yeah, so maybe, so we've both read that. So maybe we'll give people a couple weeks. You can get it on your Kindle. It's a pretty, it is a pretty fast read. It's a very enjoyable read. Uh, Zoo Station, David Downing. We will talk about it in the month of February. Word. Let's say that. Yeah, cool. We'll circle back. Uh, you guys got to tell the Baranski story. People want to know. All you, Andy. I kind of like the mystery here, especially because Chris just admitted off air that he doesn't remember this at all. He has no, literally no memory of where this came from. Like, I think it was probably a year into doing the show and... There was an episode, I think there were a couple of these early on in our run, when you would, much like you do with Taboo, an equally outstanding show, you would try to, like, turn me around on The Good Wife, because you were, like, you were, you were deep in those Margulies streets. Yeah. And you would, and, 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 you know, you were describing an episode that was particularly good, and you were like, and, you know, and, and, and Christine Baranski, what a good job she does. She's always terrific. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right, Broadway Danny Rose. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, of course she does a great job. She's Christine Baranski. And, and at some point there was also, I think we were, we were praising her, her, her chunky uh, jewelry yeah. moves, you yeah, know, because yeah. she, she always, she basically wore like the hollowed out inside of crystals that you used to be able to buy at the sharper image, like around her neck. <laughs> So I was a fan of her aesthetic, and I'm a fan of her doing good work, and it just felt like a thing to shout at the end of the podcast. There was also, also an iconic, like, frank, like, just uh, candid shot of Christine Baranski, I think, like, on the six train that was, like, a, on the internet for a minute, where it was, like, just look at her reading the times and looking like a queen on the six and just being like, yeah. I'm going to work. She's, so it's like, she's, she's a legend. A and patron saint of our podcast. It, and also, if I were being really honest here, which I think we, we owe it to our listeners, it, it always felt to me that it was unfair that you got to yell something and I didn't. And <laughs> I really, I, I'm, I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the open face sandwich or the tartine. I feel like we need to have a nice bookend. So, so here we are. There you go. All right. Now, so, so getting to some of the other big questions, you got a lot of versions of this, but I'll stick with Scott's. Uh, besides Star Wars and Legion, <laughs> what movies and TV shows are you most excited about in 2017? This is a great question, Chris, Scott. Yeah, Chris, uh, Chris, why don't you just talk about how excited you are for Legion? Look, I think you should just really just like open up a lane. My thing about X Men is like, let there's too many there's too many X Men in X Men. <laughs> we gotta get them out. <laughs> um, no, I'm, of course I'm excited for Legion, man. You kidding me? I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. Um, Everyone's excited. But besides Star Wars and Legion, what movies and TV shows are we both excited for? Okay, so my first uh, movie is going to be uh, Alien Covenant, which I think is not unlike Taboo Island in the sense that like, I I know that there are probably diminishing returns in this series, and I know that uh, I got very ex- extremely hyped up for Prometheus, but... Uh, and it was not as good as I hoped, although Same. it did wind up being very, very, like, I think it provoked a lot of thought. But uh, Alien Covenant, the, la- the most recent installment in the Alien series, is directed by Ridley Scott, returns Michael Fassbender, Catherine Watterson, yes. um, Amy Simons, who is somehow in an Alien movie that is awesome, Danny McBride, um, just like an incredible cast. And I Isn't still. Franco in it? Franco's in it. Um, yeah, I just have like a lot of hopes for Alien Covenant. Can the first trailer looks like it's pretty much straight horror. Like it looks like a return to the more 
uh, don't go down that hallway roots of the series in Alien. I'm also actually pretty into the lore surrounding Alien, co- Al- the Alien franchise, and I'm very curious about how they're going to get it to connect to the, the larger story eventually. So you this is, love lore. You have I always do. loved lore. Let's Can do I it. Just ask you? I'm, I, 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 I am. I will see this movie. This has I, also got uh, Damien Bashir and Billy Crudup and uh, Carmen Ajogo. No, this is this and is, Jesse this is an all-time cast. Yeah. But I, I, I have to say, I would love it if you could just, right now in public, guarantee that I can watch it under the same circumstances I watched Prometheus, which was just just devastatingly hungover after a Grantland party uh, in the third row at the Arclight with you and Sean Fennessy. I think, I think I wore my sunglasses through the movie, and it was not a 3D experience. Do you, but so. Also, I, th- I think it was 3D, but don't were you grossed <laughs> no, out it? by the last one? Because I think this next one's going to be even more intense. Was I was I grossed out about? It? Yeah, grossed out by it. I I, I thought it was a, a a gross waste of Idris Elba's time. Is that what you mean? Like, <laughs> the emotion no, I mean, scene's I, pretty pretty rough. The, that was an intense. It was an intense movie, but I I enjoyed it. I think you know I I, I my favorite part of the movie was Fassbender playing basketball. Yeah. On, on and watching Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, Andy, what other movies? Like, are there any others that you have? Like, do you just want to name the names of that you're excited for? Okay, here are four movies I'm psyched for, and we'll go quick. Uh, I mentioned The Lobster got nominated for an Oscar. Your, your man Yorgos Lanthimos' new movie is called The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and it stars Colin Farrell, so obviously I've already been on Fandango and bought 100 tickets. Um, uh, Armando Iannucci, who made Veep in the thick of it, has a new movie called The Death of Stalin. Uh, I guess in the, the hierarchy of cinematic deaths, I would put Sacred Deer first, Stalin second. Um <laughs> You know how we have this theory on this podcast about how um, the movie Short Term 12 is like the, sec- the, like the oh, secret yeah, yeah. text that defined a decade of, of, of movie making? Um, the dude who made that movie, uh, Destin Cretton, has finally made another movie. And it's an adaptation of the book The Glass Castle. And it also stars uh, Brie Larson, but it also has Naomi Watts and Woody Harrelson. I think that dude is a filmmaker to watch, and that's kind of exciting. And I would throw one other one on there. What about Annihilation, though? Yeah, man, Alex, Alex Garland Garland's back. Annihilation. I had to mention it because when we had a book club mentioned, we, we had sort of flirted with having Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy as our book club pick because yeah. we both read his book Annihilation, and Annihilation is a super creepy, fun, interesting read. And then I spent six months struggling Me through too. the other two books in the trilogy, and I did not want to talk about it anymore after those other two books. This is going to be one of those things, I think, where the movie is going to be even better than the book. Yeah. Alex Garland's first movie since Ex Machina. We have uh, Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson trying to just, 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 just silkwood shower the stink of Westworld off of herself. Um, the first Jennifer Jason Lee, Gina Rodriguez. It's a great uh, cast. Come on. Um, this is this is the movie. Last couple of movies I'm really interested in: Logan Lucky, which is Steven Soderbergh's return to feature oh, films. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a NASCAR heist film starring. Channing Tatum and Adam Driver and Daniel Craig, who apparently bleach blonded, like went bleach blonde for this. And I'm also really excited for um, Paul Thomas Anderson's yet to be titled, maybe not even released in 17, but hopefully Ooh. 1950 set in the fashion world of England, starring Daniel Day Lewis. And oh, wow. mm-hmm. I am also psyched for Molly's Game, which is Aaron Sorkin's movie with Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba about the underground poker world of Los Angeles. Is um, that movie an adaptation of Aaron Sorkin's emails to Amy Pascal at Sony about making that movie? You know what? Because he could probably so, do that, it. and he would still make a cool movie. I'm also really looking forward to Free Fire, which is Ben Wheatley's shoot 'em up movie with um, Brie Larson. Uh, that's his follow up to High Rise again. Yeah, really excited. TV shows that we are looking forward to. We'll try to get through these kind of fast. Andy, go ahead. 
Well, I already said my number one, 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 which is Twin Peaks coming May 21st. My birthday weekend, the gift to me, my favorite show of all time coming back. Um, I'm psyched for The Leftovers returning because the more I think about that second season, the more it kind of stays in my head and fucks with me. And also the the uh, uh, new trailer had a horse in it. <laughs> so you know how I feel about that. Um, the Deuce is coming. Maybe you want to talk about that. Pete Holmes' comedy on HBO, guys, Crashing, which debuts next month. So we'll talk about it soon. I'm really enjoying watching it. But also, dude, Top of the Lake 2. I know, man. A show that definitely did not need a second season, but it was my favorite show of 2013. I'm psyched. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Godless, which is Steven Soderbergh and Scott Frank's show set in a New Mexico mining town with Michelle Dockery and Jeff Daniels and Jack O'Connell. And that sounds like basically like a a Deadwood Redux. I'm really excited for that. I think that my next thing, like this is sort of nebulous, but you know, there are a lot of other shows. I'm I can't wait for the Deuce. It's Times Square seediness george pelicanos and david simon and megan abbott and all these great writers working on that richard price um but i would say that i am also excited for like netflix show x or at least the i basically like the experience of being surprised by something that comes out of nowhere that you didn't expect and is like did you know that the show was on and it's awesome you know like whether and that happened a bunch of times last year so i'm, I'm really looking forward to the uh whatever yeah. surprises that peak tv throws at us in so much as like we're, we just don't even know it's coming yeah, that's a good pick. Thanks, they, man. They were filming The Deuce a block away from my Bushwick apartment. Yeah. I met Black Thought. James Franco was milling about. Yeah. There you go. Good in New York diner. stories with Zach. I love it. <laughs> What's the next one? All right. So Secret Buckets wants to know, Andy mentioned Westworld earlier. So Westworld was spoiled by the internet, Reddit, and your podcast. How do we follow shows without <laughs> hey. getting too far? That's what he wants this to This is say. a pretty good question. I mean, I think that... Uh, this is going to be the conundrum for the modern television watcher going forward. You basically... You know, can't really look at the internet and see the OA without knowing what happens in the OA. It goes across the board for a lot of different shows. I would, I, I guess, I would flip that for myself and say, um, how do you watch television without the internet right now? Is Westworld as fun an experience if you don't have the theories? Is the OA is interesting if you don't have people probing what X, Y, and Z about it means? I, how are you feeling about this, Andy? Because you're, you're kind of like taking a little bit of a step back from reading about stuff all day long is it improving your appreciation of pop culture yeah i mean if you want to use the oa example and um people had warned me that something crazy was going to happen and and actually being semi-spoiled about it probably made me more okay with it because when i finally got to episode five and the thing happened i was like oh is that all you know, because hearing the way people talk about it, and, you know, we are guilty of it, too. Like, when you're commenting on something, you're obviously going to amplify your thoughts or amplify your opinions even more just to have the conversation or make it make it more fun. I, I didn't, it didn't bother me. I actually appreciated being able to watch the OA at my own pace and then just sort of find what I liked in it and, and just try to push past the parts that I didn't. To me, the question, like, it's such a, it's, it's such a golden age, not for television itself but for television watching right now you have almost unlimited choices there is a show for every taste for every mood for every moment for every night of the week certainly um and i i just don't see how that's a bad thing you can choose to engage with the internet you can choose to step take a half step from the internet you can choose to watch things along with people or watch them completely solitarily solitarily on your own i think to part me, of the-, the question is almost more interesting from a creator perspective mm. which is to say that 
you know, th- there was creeping blockbusterism in TV where in order to get a show greenlit or to cut through the clutter, there was an emphasis placed on what's the twist? What's the act out? What's the, what's, what are we, what is the guys, where are we of this pilot? You yeah, know? right. And it's funny that we're, we're in a moment where this is us, which is in many ways is the most mainstream hit the TV has manufactured in quite some time that we're I'm talking about the NBC uh, family show. Even that was built around a jaw dropping twist in the pilot. Um, and, and so I think you, the further you go down that rabbit hole, the more, the further away you get from what people actually really like about TV as opposed to movies, which is some feeling of consistency and warmth and engagement with the characters. So I feel like the most, the best thing to to think about going forward is to, is to try to seek out as a viewer. Yes. But also for people who are making shows to make a show that still remembers those things first. I mean, this, this sounds like very white bread pedestrian advice, but like make the show about your characters. And then if crazy things happen to them, that's great. If people get spoiled on them, too bad. The point is they'll keep watching regardless if they care about the things they should have been caring about in the first place. And you know that, that's the test Westworld failed. I was kind of thinking about this the other day with, um, you remember, who is the dude who uh, did Lone Star and Awake? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Kyle Killen. He and, was kind of uh, like five um, years ahead of his time. Like if those shows had come on now, I think they would have been much bigger deals because they both had sort of like kind of very intricate narrative premises within the shows, but then, you know, we're just trying to be like a normal week-to-week show out on top of it. By the way, I think the, Kyle Killen was the first guest on the Andy Greenwald podcast, I believe. Um, a nice guy and basically exactly right, like bad luck and bad timing because he was dedicated to the idea of making cable-like shows in terms of their ambition, in terms of their twists, and trying to do them in a network, a broadcast network uh, box. And it didn't work. And I think that if he was doing those things now on networks, you might see networks willing to cater to the material rather than trying to cater to the format, right? You might see him, you might see Awake more explicitly promoted as an event series. And it's like a 10 episode thing rather than like, well, how are we going to make this into, like, let's just worry about it later. It's worth noting that he now has retreated to cable where he probably should have been all along. I think he's making a show for AMC. Oh, interesting. Okay. But it, 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 but it's an interesting moment because you know, look, look at it. Everyone's paying attention to This Is Us. It's going to get nominated for, I think, an Emmy. It has a chance to win an Emmy. It got a two-season renewal. But if you look at NBC, the rest of NBC is the continuing adventures of Dick Wolf making money off of Chicago. And Chicago's public works, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, the least talked about shows and just low-key kind of the most successful shows and single-handedly save the network. So people are still watching the same old TV and, and we're sort of having these debates over in the margins. What's the next one? Well, on that note, Bryce wants to know what is the most overrated show that tons of people watch and like, but for reasons you don't quite understand. This is tough because I don't really feel like taking a pot shot at stuff that people like popular shows. I think they're kind of self-evident while, why they're popular. Um, it, it's almost easier to be like this critical darling is actually not that good, but um Eddie, I don't, I, what's your answer for this? I'm curious whether you had the same rule here. Um, you know, I, I I feel like you know, obviously, I think Westworld is 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 overrated. Um, I think that um, uh, House of Cards is wildly overrated, or at least praised for the wrong things. Um, I don't you know, really I, think House I, of I think Cards at, gets praise anymore, though. But that doesn't matter. Well, that's the I thing. Saying. The, the, thing. Things sort of find their level. I mean, I, you know, I, I think. I think some people still were trying to make the argument that the affair was really good. I I would beg to differ. <laughs> I think Julia um, and Amanda are you know, running over right now. <laughs> look, I think I think the other thing about long long running shows find their level. You know, it's very hard for something to be considered great and then sort of maintain 
everyone saying it's great as more and more time comes. It, you know, it's like it, it's like in sports, like when, a, when someone takes the court for the first time and does things people haven't seen and can score a lot. And they're like, oh, I figured it out. I figured out your moves. You know, mm-hmm. I know how to defend you. Yeah, we get a little tape um, on the person. <laughs> you get a little tape. Exactly. So, um, I, I, yeah, I don't really have an answer because it's not like either of us are taking shots at like golden gooses you know it's not like we were like oh breaking bad yeah like i'm not gonna be like oh kevin can wait sucks it's like i you know shout outs to big bang theory i actually don't even i mean like there was a time where i didn't even mind it i it it being in its 10th year i think is like a sort of tacit agreement on the cast and the producers and the and the audience that like let's just keep making this for the sake of making it so but the conversation about tv is really stratified you know like the people who the people who put ncis you know 20 million people who watch NCIS every week. I don't know any of them who are who are out there being like, you know, and, and it's far superior to Top of the Lake. <laughs> you know, I, I just, it, it's just not a, it's just not a conversation yeah. that, that's even happening. So what's the next one, Zach? Uh, John Flynn wants to know, what show would you bring back and continue if you were able to? I know Andy's answer to this. Yeah, this is this is the most answered question by me. I would bring back Terriers, man. I love Terriers on FX. You should watch it on Netflix. But I will say now what I say every time, things should end. It's okay. I wish there was more Terriers, but it, it's a pretty perfect season of TV that ends in a pretty appropriate place. So yeah, I, it's also hard to even answer this question in a time when literally everything is coming back. And so it doesn't really seem like a fantasy exercise anymore. Yeah, I know. It's like I would when, if you would ask me this question, like, I, you know, I don't even remember when the reboot came out. But, you know, I, there's tons of stuff from the 80s and, and early 90s that I think could be tweaked like V or even Miami Vice would be an interesting show. There was a very little scene show um, uh, on NBC that was on around the time that Homicide Life on the Street that was on, was on called Unsub, which was a really freaky way out there. It was like a special FBI unit who had like a series of you know psychics and empaths or whatever who were trying to. Fuck. What was it called? It's Unsub, and it was. Um, it was just I like a really get why it didn't succeed. Yeah, it was very dark, but I, I thought that would be successful. The, the show that I would like to see come back, um, even though we are not quite in the dateline, it needs to be to, to make sense with the title, uh, is Millennium, which was the sort of uh, mm. uh, it was on. It was like a, was it an X Files spinoff? It was an X Files. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. It, yeah, they they did like a backdoor pilot within the X Files for it, and it was basically about a guy who was sort of this. Like Lance Lance Henriksen plays this legendary FBI investigator who specializes in uh, apocalyptic cases, um, people and uh, movements that are trying to bring about or anticipate the end of the world. And I just feel like that would make a lot of sense right now, and I would love to see that come back. Can I? Um, I would too. I would like to see it come back, not from Chris Carter and the X Files team, but you know, maybe put like brian fuller or someone else on it and see what they can do with it quick quick thing quick googling here unsub was a television show on nbc chris this show ran for two months in early 1989 wow i cannot believe you just reached into your your <laughs> bag of holding and pulled this out it start it starred david soul and m emmett walsh yes m. Emmett Walsh. he was the cop i remember yes Chris, February 3rd to April 14th, 1989. You were 11 years old. <laughs> what the hell? Do you, do you want to tell us the story of your infatuation with this well, eight-episode long Well, I used to series? have, like, a very, like, I would basically go to bed at, at, like, 10, I think. And I used, but I used to, like, creep back out onto the landing that went downstairs, you know, to the stairs down to my, my parents' living room. 
And I would watch a little bit of the 10 p.m. show that they were watching. I think they knew. Mm-hmm. But that's where I would see, like, either L.A. Law or Miami Vice or any of the 10 o'clock shows <laughs> from around then. And First I must all, have just been like, what the fuck is unsub? This dude is, like, communicating with dead people. I don't know. Can I just say, how creepy would it have been if your parents knew that there was a small presence lurking on the top of the steps watching television but didn't know it was their son? More creepy is if what no. if there had never been a show called unsub and I just made that up. All right, Zach, what do you got next? Do you, uh, just, just, just last thing, last thing, Zach. But uh, the pilot of Unsub, the name of the episode was my new nickname for Chris, which is White Bone Demon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so next question Great for Andy: job, and White, White Bone, Bone Demon. Demon. <laughs> All right, so, so Noah wants to know if you could give one actor, writer, or director a blank check from HBO just to make whatever, who would it be? My joke answer is Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they do that already? Yes, they did. <laughs> they they can't they cannot stop doing it. <laughs> um boy, this is a tough one that I should have prepared for. I mean, honestly, I would have said Paolo Sorrentino, but then he made the young pope and made the world good again. Um you kind of want to go in that in that direction, right? Like there one of my go-tos for questions like this was always like to think in the indie world because there were people whose just point of view I kind of liked and 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 want, always wanted to see more movies by them um, and they didn't make that many movies you know people like um, like like Jim Jarmusch or, or Nicole Holofcener who I still think I wish would make a TV show but honestly seeing things like The Young Pope and starting to think about TV as a directorial medium in addition to just a writer's medium makes me think that it should go to someone who is more visually ambitious right I mean. Mm-hmm. Who who fits that bill that of I was going to say contemporary filmmakers? Um, you know they don't have to be young. I mean, I, I'm you know, excited it, that David Lynch just made another 19-hour movie for Showtime. Yeah, right? and if that's the case, if David Lynch is going to make a 19-hour movie, then I would be interested in seeing like what Kelly Riker could make for HBO or what. Uh, I mean. HBO backing up the money truck. I don't, you know, like that's not even a thing anymore because like Amazon and Netflix literally like are like one day away from like giving Hal Hartley a $10 million deal or something. So I just think it, it's almost at this point, like it's really up to the people who make, make content probably to go to them. But, but I think my, my, the thing that I would say, the caveat is that I would want to see if I would want to see a project like this from someone who wanted to make a TV show. And what I mean yeah, is that's a good deal. didn't just want to get bankrolled to make a movie. Like the, another question that we got, I don't know if you had it on your list to ask Zach, but, but our man Shimmy Krumholtz, this is a quality handle, asked us, um, why is the Coen brothers coming to TV not bigger news? And my answer is they're not really coming to TV. I think they're just making a movie. And yeah, they're making it a two-part TV. Western that they're going to show. And you know what? I'm all for it because I hope that I hope that all the stuff that is not, and we're seeing it more and more and more. And I, you know, I, it was funny. We've been doing a lot of Oscar stuff over at the Ringer, so you're inevitably looking at different directors' careers, and like Catherine Bigelow, and she's finally got something mm-hmm. coming out this year. I was looking at Cassie Lemons, who did Talk to Me back in 2007, and and uh, um, just like she hasn't really made that many films. It's like I just go to like get these people like some TV deals so that they can just like get the kind of tell the stories that the movies are just increasingly like marginalizing yeah I, I agree like don't if people said like do you want to see a tv show from paul thomas anderson or wes anderson i mean the answer is yes because you want to see anything guys like that make but they're they make movies they are masterful and they make movies and there's a reason they make movies and and that's fine so let's 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 see people who have something to say on tv you know i mean amazon gave woody allen a tv show and woody allen just kind of made a 
you know, he, he took like a like a B grade thing and made a kind of longer movie. Yeah, you know, which is fine. But let let let's let's let TV be TV before we get. You know, it's it. I don't want to fall into this version of of the world where. Remember when movie stars would just like appear in an HBO movie? Yeah, it turns like into basically the MLS for ovation. Hollywood. It's where like the older or the, you know, I, yes, I, I, yes. Get, I get it. So what's the next one? Uh, so yeah. Beck Cochran says, girls are taking over the world. Which which female characters and actors uh, won the year in 2006 for you guys? I mean, I was very, very... But first of all, first of all, 2016, great year for women in power. Great, great <laughs> year. If there's one thing I, I agree with him on is women have definitely taken over the world and, and we're done. It's good. It's a wrap. <laughs> Uh, I was very obviously we've we've talked a lot about um I, I was like blown away by Amy Adams this year. I think she was in two of my favorite movies, Nocturnal Animals and Arrival. What about you, Andy? I mean I, I feel like Chris, you and I are both just looking up at the wall that we made just a few weeks ago, but I, 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 I right on the spot with a question like this, I'm gonna say Phoebe Waller Bridge, who made Fleabag. Nice. You know, I just I, I continue to think that that's one of the most impressive TV shows of the year. And I think that her writing plus her acting and just the, her whole conception of it was just really bracing, really jarring, really funny, really unsettling, and really exciting. You know that that TV will find is finally beginning to give performers and talents like her the keys, so they can do what they want with the sports car. You cool. want to do uh, some for individually yes. for each of us? I'm going to ask. I'm going to trade off asking you guys individual questions. So first, this oh one's boy. for you, Andy. Alex Peters wants to know: Did you write the amygdala line in the Legion trailer? Because it sounds like no, it. no, but that's a big compliment. No, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I was very upfront about this when I talked about my the thing. You know, I I worked on the show. I contributed to the show. I did not write, and I did not write an episode. I mean, I do not. My name is not on the, the on any of the scripts. Um, Look for the other talented people I worked with. Give them the credit. Give and certainly give Noah Holly the credit because that's his thing. But that's Andy's large no contribution was largely sitting in a writer's room and being like, "What about mutants, though?" Yeah, <laughs> seriously. No, I was just like, I was just in the back flipping through an old like hardcover Marvel masterworks and being like, "Yo, Mimic was dope. Can we use Mimic?" <laughs> Yo, when Cable jumped back and killed his own dad. <laughs> well, speaking, I'm just gonna stick with you, Andy, because another the, another question from Devin is, "What does a co-producer on an FX show do?" Oh, um, definitely gets in early enough to contribute to the lunch order. I think that was key. Um, no, they, so I mean, this was relatively new to me, too. But basically, the titles that you see at the beginning of the show or at the end of the show in the credits, they're generally, um, you know, it's Writers Guild stuff. So all the different levels of produ- many of the different levels of producers, those are actually just writer credits. Um you know, so there's the writer credits go. This is I've just recently learned this. It's like staff writer, um, story editor, um, uh, co-producer, producer, supervising producer, executive producer, basically. So a co-producer does less than an executive producer, certainly. But it's really just. But but that even that is not necessarily true. It's really just like it, it's it's hierarchy and it's it's guild determined. Um, and it's you know some co-producers. Like some of the people who also have a co-producer title are people who wrote scripts um, for the season. So, but I, I do want to circle back and just reiterate how vital the lunch ordering was and is for TV writers' rooms. That was a that was a real eye opener for me, and I and I'd like to think I contributed in in in, in a major way. All right, Chris Luke Hanlon wants to know: Do you regret buying all that Eric Eckhart stock a no. few months ago? Bravery comes in many different ways, and my bravery was investing deeply in Eckhart Industries. Uh, I think that it's a it's a it's a field that's in flux. Um, I think that what we did in 2016 is a base for growth, uh, and we're, you're going to weather changes in 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 people's attitudes towards 
the market. But I think we're, we're here. Can, we're here and we're, we're going you, along with Eckhart. Can you can you give that same answer as Giovanni Ribisi in Boiler Room? <laughs> I would really... By the way, and by the way, I don't mean to harp on this. I realize I just gave like a very like tongue-in-cheek answer about like ordering lunch in the guild. Like for real though. The, this the is my question. We're talking room. about Aaron Eckhart. Now I, you're I, jumping in talking I about sandwiches? Wanna, <laughs> I just want to come back to this and just say literally like you just – it was sitting around and, and talking about ideas and like breaking story and coming up with possibilities for the show. So that's it was like what, being on a podcast. But, but it, it was like being on a podcast but the pays but, but the pays better. Anyway, back to Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, I I've, I've feel like he had a really good year. I know that he didn't get any Oscar nominations. He was great in Sully. He was good in Bleed for this. Uh, I, don't, I don't know really what he has on, on plate. But, you know, when, we, when, when, when I invest in somebody, I stay with them. Also, Chris Harbin wants to know, will you stop yelling into the microphone? Does he want me to? Or is that a question about whether or not uh, – I tried to yell away from the microphone. Right. I've also thrown some like, compression on it so it's a little less harsh for the listeners. Oh, nice. Lately. You're like Butch Vig getting <laughs> yeah. the, the kick drum Chris, clear. Chris, did you think that that question was like the same sort of question he would ask to like Puffy in the 90s? Like, uh, Mr. Combs, will you ever stop? And then, uh, then, then you can, like is that, is that how you took that question like there was no moment when you were like oh maybe he wants me to stop i'm happy to stop yelling i mean you know it's like i don't want to be a caricature you have to understand that it really does me good to hear that 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 enthusiasm especially because right before you, you basically do the thing to me when people are like yeah i'm gonna um drink a whiskey but then i'm gonna drink a coffee and i'm just gonna like, send my body on space mountain because right before we start recording you're like hey um if you look at the new york times yeah things are real dark okay let's go <laughs> all right i gotta so here's an here's another uh critical listener um grant wants to know andy are you ever going to be able to start an episode again without bringing up how depressed you are about the election? No. <laughs> no I, bring up every, I bring up every conversation that way. I mean, like, I'm not a... Guys, I'm not a good hang right now. Is anybody? No, you're like, a good like, what, don't, what, don't sell yourself short. You're a good guy. You, got, you, you keep it what? light. Sorry. Right, don't I worry I said about I'm it. a good guy. I'm just not a good hang. I, like, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to watch the young Pope and hold it together like everyone else in America, you know? Yeah. It's white knuckle time, guys. All right, last question for Chris. Um, Sterling Johnson wants to know if you can start a school of pronunciation for Ryanisms like biopic and adaptation. It's look, man. <laughs> you know, ooh, these are savage. Yeah. I'm interested in what made you choose the ones that were like all <laughs> negs for me. Uh, yeah, I know that. You know, here's the thing. I talk a lot. You know, I talk about, like even when I'm not on podcasts, I'm usually talking at the office, and just like. I get stuff wrong, man. We do this more or less live. Like, if you guys want me to go back and fix everything, you're just going to lose some juice. Ride with me. <laughs> Actually, when I picked that, I didn't know that that was, like, bashing you. I, I wasn't, I'm sure it's I thought not. it was something I, I wasn't pretty I, I do know that I've been battling with pronunciations recently. So. Yeah. Also, Zach just basically admitted that he's joining the long line of producers of our show who basically don't listen to our show, <laughs> which, which respect. Uh, oh, and somebody else also said, uh, I think it, it was to you, Andy, that they, they think you use the word parse incorrectly. Oh, oh, okay. Look, look at him trying to even the field. This, this is classic. This is like dad moves, like playing the kids against each other. I use it incorrectly. Let, how should Chris yeah. use parse in a sentence? I don't. I don't know what this person's talking about. I, you went to Brown. You should know how to use parse. I mean, All right, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna no wonder I can't spell biopic. They said, uh, "Why do you misuse the word parse all the time, especially when describing a movie preview?" This is from uh, Red to Brown Wine. Says this. Wow, movie previews. I don't know why. I guess 
um, you know, the heart wants what it wants. <laughs> but that's my answer. Why don't we do some All lightning right. round? Yeah, let's, here's, here's the speed round. We're just going to zip through these uh, as fast as can. Um, would Logan be better with Renner? No. Uh, is with th- Renner as the kid? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is the Americans the wire of the 2010s? Uh, no, because Chris doesn't watch it. Do I actually like the young Pope? I can't tell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do. Is the young Pope the last Jedi? Ooh. Um, you think that the worlds connect? You think it's going gonna, it's gonna to wrap back around in, in episode eight? He'll be, he'll be walking onto a, a Star Destroyer? He does have a big Death Star in his office. I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say yes, it is. Uh, isn't Jedi plural for multiple Jedi? Yes, this was brought up multiple times, and I have to admit, <laughs> like I feel like I got I got to hold my hands up and be like, I guess that makes sense. But you know what? Then call it something else. Like just be like a bunch of Jedi's, but they're the last ones. Like don't don't like just don't the bait and switch. <laughs> Chris, uh, that that's that's just the Hollywood fixer talking. Like guys, uh, the title's good; it's short to the point. But but what if it was longer and a little more confusing? What if it was? <laughs> when Oliver Stone makes his Trump biopic in eight months, who plays Trump? Oof. Mm. Uh, too soon. Yeah, <laughs> too soon. Hanks or Denzel? Depends on what you're looking for. Peak yeah, Denzel or, or, or is just... way higher than peak Hanks, but I think yeah. Hanks, in terms of like movie to movie, probably has like a higher batting average. Whose TV career do you like more? Do you like Hanks on like on Bosom Buddies and Saturday Night Live or Denzel? Denzel on Saint Elsewhere? Elsewhere, man. Right before Unsub. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which SNL cast member do you wish could uh, portray you in the Watch parody sketch? Wow. Um, I don't want to know people's uh, answer Kate, to this. Uh, uh, Kate McKinnon. Yeah, Kate McKinnon. <laughs> okay. I want Kate McKinnon to do both. Uh, I don't really get future. Do you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Strong yes. Why do you guys refuse to watch Horace and Pete? Uh, I'm already too sad. Yeah, it just seems like this is this is the problem with even good stuff. You know, it just it it, it feels like it's going to be tough and it feels like it's going to be work. And I don't want to think about art that way. I don't want to think about something that people respect so much that way. So I, I, I honestly feel like this is also me definitely at this point over a year in abusing my I'm not a TV critic anymore card so I don't have to watch everything this is denying myself something that I am at least curious about but it is tough at the end of the day to be like let's 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 fire up a 15 minute Laurie Metcalf monologue in a bar you know that's on me I I, I, I we, we Chris we promised Sam we know, we, we we're on the it, wrong so side of history it. here I know that we're supposed to watch it I just I just haven't been able to work myself up to it and then there's just like all this new stuff it's now streaming on Hulu so you don't have to pay for it as much uh, can can the new Japan droids save rock and roll? That doesn't need to. And I am actually lukewarm on the Japan droids. Andy, what do you think? I forgot the album came out. I haven't listened to it yet, but I like the single. Wow, I am old now. I didn't even know that was out. Um, can it save rock? No. No, because the thing about Japan droids that's so exciting is that it's basically like taking... It's making a, a smoothie of everything you've ever liked about other rock bands and then just, just, just jamming it together in a Vitamix. I feel like if anyone's going to save rock, they might have to do something slightly more forward-looking. But who am, I to, who am I to say? I don't know. Moonlight or La La Land? Moonlight. I know Andy's answer. Moonlight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty easy binary for me. I am, I, I am, I am just standing on the car of the, of the anti-La La Land Express. I'm up on the roof. It's an Acela car, and I'm just riding the rails. I love it. <laughs> love it up here. Any takes? I'm looking at America, and I don't like what I see. 
Any takes on Man in the High Castle? Speaking of which, I enjoyed like the first few of last year's, uh, the, the first seasons, and I know that it is a hugely popular show, but uh, I found it to be incredibly slow and kind of like a tough hang, and just lost interest. Uh, well, Andy, did you never really? Did, you didn't keep watching, did you? No, I watched the first few. Um, I've heard that it improved slightly in the second season. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. I thought if I wa- if I was ever going to watch a show solely for production design, that would be the show. But I found the the characters and the acting just essentially not that interesting. So I, I tapped out. All right, we'll go two more. Uh, what was your favorite women's uh, march protest sign with co- with a pop culture spin? There. Oh, easy, easy. I, I I put this on Instagram. It was the one that said um, uh, presidential approval rating thirty two percent. Rotten Tomatoes, Paul Blart, Mall Cop score uh, 33%. That's good. I, I saw one that said Mike Pence loves Nickelback. I nice. like that a lot. <laughs> All right. So last one, and this is kind of a compliment. Uh, I, love, I love the way you guys analyze plot. Where can I read more, learn more about how to critically look at plot the way you guys do? That's a great question. Um, you know, I th- there's lots of stuff. Andy and I are, are obviously like children of like some of the great you know, movie critics, and we we came up reading like some amazing critics growing up. Whether it was Ebert or you know some of the guys, even like on a week to week basis, like David Amson no. and, or, or your your dad yeah, or, Inquirer, or my father, who I, who I grew up reading. Yeah, Kerry Ricky. I mean, we grew up reading like the New, the Philadelphia Inquirer when we were growing up. Had three movie critics. So it was pretty awesome. Um, as far as like, I personally just always loved that period of the internet when it was un, somewhat untethered to commerce. And it was really just a place for people to publish stuff that they uh, couldn't find it, you know, didn't even know to find an avenue for. And like some of the really passionate, deep writing about shows like Lost, uh, Mad Men, um, and even films like, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm still hanging on to my 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 alien stock, aside from the fact that it's an amazing series, was an amazing uh, like live journal um, post about Prometheus. I think we've talked about this a couple of mm. times that like was just a completely unhinged thousand multi-thousand word explanation of like the religious imagery in Prometheus. And um it's that stuff's still out there if you look for it. But yeah, I think Andy and I grew up in an era when when that stuff uh was was more prevalent. I, I would also jump in and just say like in addition to the great TV critics that are out there right now, um, you know, like like Emily Nussbaum, like Alan Alan Seppenwall, Matt Zoller Seitz, um Mo Ryan I really say this. I, I don't own this stock at all, but I think that the New York Times right now is just a murderer's row in almost every field in terms of criticism. And I think it's really helpful to read criticism in fields other than the ones you're most interested in. Um, you know, so obviously our friend Wesley Morris is just just killing it across the board in culture over there now. Uh, our friend John Caramonica on music as well. Um, but like A.O. Scott on movies and Pete Wells on food, I just think are almost peerless i really the way they approach things the way they construct their sentences and do it with a word count which is not which everyone would agree i did not have at grantland and many of us on the internet did not do not have um i think it's really really impressive yeah thanks for everybody for reaching out and who participated in the mailbag we can't thank you enough for all the questions you can check out the watch list on twitter if you just follow at the watch pod the watch list is where you can find out what andy and i are going to be talking about uh on our next episode if you want to like jump ahead and sort of be able to watch what we're talking about um, so yeah, follow us on at the Watch Pod on Twitter. Uh, tell tell a friend about the watch, man. Spread the word. Thanks so much and for listening. Me, let me say this: now that the mystery has been completely removed from it for now and forever, great job, Redski. <laughs> Talk to you later.
Thanks again to Curiosity Stream, a subscription streaming service that offers over 1,500 documentaries and nonfiction series from some of the world's best filmmakers. They sponsored us today. Curiosity Stream is the world's first ad-free nonfiction streaming service with over 1,500 titles and 600 hours of content. It's available on many platforms, web app, Roku, Android ios chromecast amazon fire amazon kindle apple tv and the content spans history science nature technology and more the plan started just 2.99 a month you check out curiositystream.com slash sign up and use the promo code the watch during the sign up and get unlimited access to the world's top documentaries and nonfiction series completely free for the first 60 days check it out 